Hello, I'm Amanda Jezik, IDSA's Senior Vice President for Public Policy and Government Relations. Welcome to IDSA's COVID-19 podcast series that aims to keep IDSA members, medical professionals, and the public informed during this pandemic by talking with experts in the field of infectious diseases. In this episode, we'll be discussing the latest information on COVID-19 vaccination for children with pediatric infectious diseases physicians, Dr. Jason Newland of Washington University in St. Louis, and Dr. Buddy Creech of Vanderbilt University Medical Center. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Dr. Creech, can you start by telling us about the trials that were conducted to support the authorization of COVID-19 vaccines for children ages zero to five? And specifically, what were the goals in terms of determining safety and efficacy? I think it's really important for providers and parents to understand this because we had to take a little bit of extra care when it came to getting the vaccine down to these youngest ages. I think it's important to realize children aren't just little adults. Rather, they have their own physiology and their own responses. They also have their own safety profiles. If a a 30-year-old develops headache, that may look very different than a 30-month-old who develops headache and then fussiness and decreased eating and all of that. So what we did in these studies is we, we started with the older age groups and we slowly worked our way down so that we knew it was safe and effective in the teenagers, then the older children, the early uh, school age, the toddlers, and then the infants. At the same time, we were slowly increasing the dose. We would start at the smallest dose that we thought would be reasonable to make an immune response, and we steadily increased it until we found that Goldilocks amount, which was the smallest amount of vaccine that gave us the best possible immune response. So that's why these studies took a little while to do. Uh, Jason and I were investigators for the Moderna study. Many of our colleagues led the Pfizer studies. And what we did is we vaccinated thousands upon thousands of children, well over 10,000 just in the Moderna study alone, in order to find this right dose, confirm that it was just as good in kids as it is in adults, prove that it had an effect against severe disease and infection in general, and then to be able to give to providers and parents the expected side effect profile of the vaccine, which matches the other childhood vaccines that we have in our arsenal. So I think it's good news that we now have reached the point of authorization and recommendation of these vaccines down to six months of age. And now it's a matter of just getting shots into shoulders. Is the approach of giving children a smaller dose of the vaccine than what's given to adults a new approach? Or have we seen this with other vaccines as well? We've done this before. Uh, We do this with hepatitis B vaccine based on the birth weight. We've done it historically with influenza vaccine, where we would give a half dose in the early infancy. We also see the reverse of it, where for adults, for let's say uh, varicella vaccine, the old zoster vaccine that we don't use anymore, we had to give a higher amount of the virus to get the same response. And probably the best example is influenza for adults where to overcome some of the aging of the immune system that goes along with aging of the body, we actually need to give upwards of three times the amount of influenza hemagglutinin to get the same type of response. So I think as we move into this new age of more precision vaccinology, we're going to find that there are these types of tweaks and nuances particularly with our next generation vaccines, like these mRNA-based vaccines, where we can titrate the dose based on the age, maybe the underlying physiology, or maybe based on the target that we're trying to identify. 
Dr. Newland, there seems to be a persistent false impression that children are just not as likely to become infected with COVID-19, or if they are, that the cases are always mild. How would you respond to that? Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> right? Wouldn't that be a fantastic thing for all of us, especially those with young children or any, or any of us with children? Well, we know that's not true. And I think if we're going to do this in the context of the current or the most recent approval for the vaccine of Moderna and Pfizer for six months to five years of age, knowing that obviously with Pfizer, we go to four years for this younger group, that there has been over 400 deaths in children four and under. That's a lot of deaths. And if you look at in relationship to influenza, which we all agree upon that we need to vaccinate down to six months of age, COVID's worse. It has been worse. It's continued to show that it's worse disease. And so I think just to start with that. Now, let's let's go back to why did that become a false impression? Well, number one, early in the pandemic, March of 2020, many of us can recall in New York City where daycares remained open because the healthcare workers needed to work. And we weren't seeing large outbreaks in daycare centers. And we found it very intriguing that early on that it did seem like the youngest of children did not seem to be getting infected similarly to even older children, adolescents. And that began to change as we started seeing Delta emerge and last fall or usually last summer around here. I say here in St. Louis area. But then Omicron really changed all the dynamic and that it didn't matter. Right. The youngest children were making up a larger percentage of cases. Our children's hospitals and hospitals in general are seeing a lot more children in, in the hospital which just showed that as COVID or as SARS-CoV-2 has continued to evolve, it's continued to evolve to be able to infect people better, including our young children. Children have always been able to share the virus, right? Children love to share. The youngest children have been able to share COVID-19 the best. And there has been an, there was an early study done that showed the younger age child that had COVID, the more likely they were to infect their loved ones or their families. Just to give the audience a little note, I have three teenagers. And yes, all three teenagers have had COVID during the last over two years. And in no instance did either my wife or I get COVID from our teenagers. And why might that be? Well, because we don't hang around them as much, right, as teenagers. But if they were two and I was having to change diapers or feed or do all those sorts of cares, you can imagine that story is a lot less. And many of you out there have experienced that where your young child got COVID and and then it went through the whole family. And so I think that there is definitely demonstrations of that. Now you could, now Buddy might argue that, Jason, you just don't take care of your kids very well. And that's not true, Buddy. I just want you to- Your words, hey, your words. (laughs) Dr. Creech, can you talk a bit more about where we are in the course of this pandemic? And will these vaccines be effective against the current strains that we're seeing and future strains that may emerge? this is important. You know, we're still in the pandemic, but the pandemic has changed. We've gone from a virus that as soon as a wave began, we could set our uh, calendars to know that our hospitals were going to fill and that there were going to be a lot of hard conversations about staffing and about the mortality that we would see in our healthcare systems. That's changed. We're experiencing incredible waves throughout the country and yet we're not seeing in most areas that same type of burden on our healthcare system. Why is that? Well, we have better drugs like Paxlovid and Molnupiravir and others, but, but reality is it's that we have a heavily vaccinated population now who are experiencing mild disease. Our children get to participate in that now. I think the second thing that's happened is that we've, we've been able through vaccine and immune pressure 
change this pandemic from a fatal virus to one that resembles the common cold for most. Um, that's good news, and that changes the dynamic of where we are, but we're not guaranteed that same progression with the next variant that comes along. So I think there are two things that our listeners need to know are underway. Number one is as new variants emerge, and as we see them escape some of our vaccine or wild-type immunity, we begin to investigate the need for a booster vaccine that covers that specific variant. And you're seeing this now with both Pfizer and Moderna having Omicron or subvariant specific boosters that should be ready by the fall. I think that's a really important next step, provided that they're still the ones circulating. The second one that is extremely exciting is that through an NIH study called Covail, there's this notion that we can epitope map the spike protein in such a way that we can identify our blind spots immunologically. And if we can identify where we might see new variants emerge and why they may cause us problems and vaccinate preemptively against those blind spots, not only are we now responding to what the pandemic has given us with its variants and subvariants, but we're actually predicting where it might go in order to head it off at the pass. I think that's the type of just really next-gen science that's enabling us to see our way through this pandemic. Hello, my name is Dr. Mati Slachwayo-Davis. I'm the Associate Editor for the COVID Health Equity Resources section of the COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network. The COVID Health Equity Resources section offers a collection of educational and training materials, research articles, and resources that are curated to help medical professionals and institutions provide equitable COVID-19 care. Check us out at idsociety.org forward slash COVID-19 Real-Time Learning Network forward slash COVID Health Equity Resources. Dr. Newland, a last question for you. What factors do you think a parent ought to weigh in determining which of the two vaccines they should have their children get? Buddy talked really great at the beginning of this episode about, you know, the safety and these other things and, and, and the known that this is these vaccines, whether it's Moderna or Pfizer, are safe and effective and they're extremely effective against serious disease. That's number one. So I'm going to start it off. And Buddy also said, right, that both he and I are participating in the Moderna trial. And so that'd be known for everybody. But regardless, both vaccines work and are safe. And, and I think hopefully people know that. Now, let's let's talk about what to consider. Well, one is that Moderna's two doses separated by four weeks it has a good immunologic response safe, as we talked about. Pfizer's three doses. It's, you know, zero. You know, you get the first dose in three weeks and then eight weeks after that. So if you're somebody that's like, look, I want them fully vaccinated and, and have that protection, you might lean toward, hey, I'm going to go Moderna because it's only two doses. And as Buddy and I have talked about and others is about, you know, likely when we've seen in our young adults or other children, right? And then Mandy, we were talking, you know, our kids have been boosted, right? Like they're likely going to need a boost because of this notion of, right, we've gotten the two doses kind of close together. We're going to give our immune system some time to recover a bit, and then we're going to lay down some more memory by giving another boost. That's likely going to happen. Pfizer's, you know, had to do three doses because their first two doses, they didn't see the efficacy, and they had to, you know, and we don't want to necessarily give vaccine, to, and it wasn't going to work. And that was a concern. It was also immunologic response, and Buddy can obviously say it much better and more eloquently than this guy. But that's what we did the third dose. 
And it's not clear, right, if you're going to need a fourth dose of Pfizer for these young groups. Maybe, maybe not. We don't know. Most importantly, first, I'll just go back to you. They're both safe and effective. If you want, if you're into timing, then you might want to go Moderna. Thirdly, you might just like one versus the other because that's what you've been receiving in the end. I like Buddy's statement, right? Shots and shoulders, jabs and arms, however you want to say it. We need to be promoting vaccines. And all of us that are in this work and as we continue to work and we've been through the ups and downs of this pandemic over the last two plus years, we all recognize that the vaccination and the fact that we have vaccines this soon after a novel virus came into exit, we're blessed and we're lucky. And now let's continue to you know push forward and get more people vaccinated. Absolutely. Well, I got my two children the first shots that were available and I could not be more grateful for the protection. At this time, I'd like to thank Drs. Newland and Creech for their time, participation, and their expertise. For the latest information and resources on the COVID-19 pandemic, please visit IDSA's website, idsociety.org, and don't forget to follow us on social media. Tune in next time as another diverse panel of medical experts discusses the latest on COVID-19. I'm Amanda Jezik. The views and opinions expressed here are those of the presenters and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Involvement of CDC should not be viewed as endorsement of any entity or individual involved with the podcast.